Our reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. It's a section headed, No Confidence in the Flesh. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is again it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for a zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we just now pray for Nick as he comes to expound that word to us, that we may gain more knowledge of you. Amen. We're looking at running the race. Let me get into Philippians. So when I was about nine, I think about eight or nine, I won a modeling competition. Okay? I competed alongside my older brother and another guy from our Cub Scout pack. He was called George Rutter, I think, if I remember rightly. And we got a silver trophy, about so big. I should explain, if you haven't twigged already, it was a model-making competition, in case you were getting the wrong impression. 
And George was really good at model making, as it turned out. He was one of those kind of guys who was probably a bit of a troublemaker, but turned out to have hidden skills. He made an, an amazing carousel out of um, Dairy Lee boxes, you know, the little round things, um, plasticine and bendy straws. Um, I can still picture it to this day. My brother wasn't bad either. He made something out of lolly sticks, and then he wrote riffle range on the top of it. Spelling was not that good. Um, I don't remember, to be honest, what I contributed, if anything. And then a number of the teams got disqualified for using the box that the aluminium foil came in. We were given some foil, uh, and some people didn't only use the foil, they used the box, and they got disqualified. I guess it's possible that all the other teams got disqualified for using the box that the aluminium foil came in. But whatever, we won, and our, our Cub Scout pack leader was suitably astonished and drove us home to kind of show off the cup. Have you ever won a prize? What does it feel like to win the prize? What does it feel like to aim for the prize? And here's the question for today. Where does prize winning fit into Christianity? Because we're thinking about running the race. And it's a little pulpit swap with uh, All Saints Laylam and Ashford Kong. So Andy will come and talk to you about starting out from, from Galatians 3 um, next week. And then Keith will come and talk about finishing well the week after. And I was just reflecting with, with Tim before the service that actually you would think that one of the churches would get them in the right order, but actually they don't. Don't actually think anybody gets them in the right order. You can go and work out the permutations of that um, when you're at home. So I think talking about starting out the Christian life, that's okay. Talking about finishing well, Keith will talk from 2 Timothy 4, I think. But today we've got that awkward middle bit, which is about pressing on in the Christian life. And I think Philippians 3 gives us at least kind of three keys to keep going in, in the Christian life, especially in the face of suffering. And I suppose the subtitle might be, how can we do more than just keep going through the motions? And the first thing we need to do is, is simply keep our eye on the gospel of grace. So Paul says, um, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a, a safeguard to you. So that's what pastors always say, isn't it? You know, a bit of repetition is not going to... It's not going to hurt you. And it's true, repetition is a central part to all kind of teaching and learning, isn't it? But what's the danger at hand? What do they need safeguarding from? Well, they're being influenced by a pressure group going around the churches who are insisting that to be a Christian means you've got to become a Jew first. And you've got to, you've got to be um, circumcised. And Paul doesn't hold back in his criticism of them. I, I think this is kind of like a, one of the uh, most outspoken parts of, uh, of Paul's writing. Uh, Andy will give you another, I think, from Galatians. He says, he calls them dogs, evildoers, mutilators uh, of the flesh. And he says, for it's us who are the circumcision. You and I, we're the circumcision. Isn't that an interesting thing? And he'll say something similar in Romans 2. It says, a person is a Jew 
or person who's well, by that he means there person who's right with God, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. So the thing they've got to be aware of, is wary of is, is somebody coming and insisting on circumcision. Because Paul says, if you've become a Christian, it's your heart that has been circumcised um, by the Spirit of God. And it's one example of, of an error that persists um, throughout history. It's just one example of, of people who are trying to get right with God by their own good behavior. And Paul says you can't have salvation by grace through faith in Christ and add on to that circumcision. You can't add on to that um, trying to be right with God by your own good behavior. He says, if that were the case, he says, I would be in the lead. <clears throat> he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, I've got the right religious heritage. I have the right religious um, record. I was a Pharisee. I was one of the keenies. I have the right kind of fervor. I was so strong about it, prepared to go out and persecute people. And maybe you'd be tempted to make the same claims. I was born into a Christian family, been baptized, been constantly going to church since I was so high. I'm one of the keen ones. Don't do it. Paul says this, if God were to keep a, a ledger of my moral behaviors, or let's bring it a little more up to date, if, if God would have a spreadsheet um, of my behaviors and there is a, a what's to my profit and what's to my loss. So this stuff counts against me. Um, in God's eyes, this stuff counts for me in, in God's eyes. Then all that stuff, my heritage, uh, my good behavior, it all goes in the loss column. It all goes in the loss column. And Paul says there to be considered garbage. I've lost it now. I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. It's a kind of rude word and I can't tell you what it is. But it means dung or excrement. Paul says, I consider them, and you fill in the blank, okay. It's rude. He says they are, you wouldn't smear that stuff, you know, you're trying to be nice to somebody and impress them, you wouldn't smear dung on them. Well, that's what they are, Paul says. The only thing that gets you right with God is, is you trusting in Jesus' righteousness. In other words, Jesus was right all the way through, um, all the time, every moment of every day. And the only way to be right with God is to trust that that righteousness is counted to you. So actually, strangely enough, the first principle of pressing on is to remember how your Christian life started. You trusted in Christ and you gained Christ, to use Paul's words. You counted all your best moral efforts as poo. And don't sit back. 
When do you try to slip back? When do you try to justify yourself before God? Usually when you know you've done something wrong. You know you've done something that offended the Lord. And you say, I will try harder next time. Well, your, your decision-making is part of it, but your effort is not. I think trying to be right with God by your own efforts is like trying to pedal a motorcycle. You're just doing the wrong thing. It just doesn't work like that. It needs a, uh, you need a power um, beyond your own. You can't pedal a motorcycle. You, you turn the key and the power kicks in, hopefully, or you do whatever you do with your foot. You can tell I've never ridden a motorcycle in my life. So the first, uh, first thing you need to do for pressing on, you need to rejoice. You need to rejoice that your salvation is uh, by grace and through faith. You need to find joy again in the cross. So COVID, I think, I, I just wonder whether we had an interesting conversation in the admin team in the week, whether uh, COVID and all those lockdowns, we, the, the first thing that happened when we were locked down is we made that amazing attempt to go online and carry on doing the things we were doing, um, carry on meeting together, trying to carry on doing youth activities and all those things. And we've come out of lockdown, we're kind of getting back to some kind of normal. But again, in that lockdown, people started to reevaluate why am I doing what I'm doing? And certain things got cut away. And then, as a church, out of lockdown, we've tried to go back to doing what we were doing, and that's fine, and that's right. But I just wonder along the way whether we've lost why are we doing? Why am I doing this? We've got back to the what. Have we got back to the why? And we do it because we've got a a great salvation. Because we've got a great gift given to us, the the righteousness of Christ. We do it because uh, it's joyful. It's joy to us. We do it because we have a unique religion. There is nothing like Christianity, every other religion. Some effort as you've got to get better on your own. We do it because it, it brings us into relationship with Christ. And that really brings me to the second point. The second thing I think we need to do. So we need to keep, our, uh, keep coming back to grace. Grace, grace, grace. And secondly, we need to keep our focus on Christ and on a personal relationship with him. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I find this so challenging. I've been really challenged by this sermon in the last 48 hours. I want to know Christ. Do you? Do you really? Do you, do you want? Do you? It's a personal thing. It's an experiential thing. Do you really want to, to know Christ? Or are you just trying to fill in a a spiritual life insurance form are you really you want the transaction uh, tick sign my name uh, book my place uh, in heaven in the meantime do you want to know Christ that's more than knowing 
about Christ. That's more than knowing about what Christ has done for you and accepting it. This is a relationship that is personal and transformational. And if it's a personal relationship, then all those things that maintain a personal relationship apply. You have a personal relationship, I hope, with your uh, wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or husband. And a relationship takes talking and listening and, and spending time and trying to understand the other and changing your behavior uh, for them. And all those apply. Don't want to labor this point this morning, but if you are not, um, but if you can't be bothered um, to open the scriptures on a regular basis, then you have no claim to say that you're wanting to know Christ. There is no two ways about that. I try to be polite about this because I, I know my own weakness. But really, I'm challenged by this, so you should be too. If you, can't be, if you can't be bothered to open the scriptures on a regular basis, in other words, to hear Jesus talk to you, and if you can't be bothered to spend some time in a day to pray back to him, yeah, I don't think you have any claim on wanting to know Christ. You're actually one of those people who's ticking the spiritual life insurance. And Paul says this, read, just read, feel the heart of this. I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I've always scratched my head over that passage. Maybe you do too. But this is, this is why we don't go to this place. I think most of us say, yeah, I want to know Christ. No. But actually, it never, we don't. So Paul wants to know Christ because he wants to know the power of the resurrection. He wants the power to be different from his old self. He wants the, he wants the power to overcome the addiction to self. And self-interest. He wants the power to be changed so that he loves God with all his heart and loves his neighbor as himself. And he wants to know the, that power raising him to new life when Christ comes again. But that is tied in, don't worry about the hail and the rain. But that is tied in with sharing in Christ's sufferings. The two are tied together. You can't share Christ's suffering in the, in, in the atoning sense. Christ died on the cross and, and he bought your freedom. You can't share in that. But Christ hung naked for you. There is a shame that um, to know Christ means to share in his shame. To be prepared to be looked down on in the way that Jesus was to be prepared to be persecuted if it comes to that 
in, in the way Jesus, Jesus was. And those two things come together. The transforming power and the shame and the potential ridicule. Maybe that is why my Christian growth has been so slow. I often wonder, why have I grown so... I have grown, I'm really pleased to say that, over now 40 years, nearly, of being a Christian. Why is it so slow? I want the transforming power, I don't want the shame. I want to be different from my old sinful self but I still want to look good in front of the clever people. Don't want to look stupid. Paul says it just doesn't work like that. So you may be started in the Christian life. You saw the gospel came to you like it did to me, like a, a life ring thrown to a drowning man. And you've hold on to it, but then you've... Does this pressing on of, of knowing Christ and somehow you've got to get over that hump that to know Christ means to, to share in his shame to be prepared to look stupid and you just have to get over that hump somehow get past the point of wanting to look clever in the world's eyes how do we do that? well that brings us to our third point which is to keep your eyes um, on the prize. Paul says, verse 12, I haven't already obtained all this, nor or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. It's interesting, he says one thing, but it looks like two to me. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So I'm really glad that Paul starts with, I haven't already obtained all this. He starts with a bit of honest eva evaluation. Maybe we need a bit of honest evaluation. Still on the way to my goal, he says. <coughs> I haven't obtained all this. There is more of the journey still to go. And as well, he recognises as a combination of human and divine factors at play. He says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. And God has called me um, heavenwards in Christ. So the start of this relationship was, was Jesus grabbed me by the collar and said, come follow me. But there's a road still left to run. And Paul says, first thing to do is to forget what's behind. Forget what's behind. It's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge. What is it from behind that is dragging you back? What's giving it such power? Maybe it's bitterness over past wrongs, real or imagined. Maybe it's despair over past sins. Maybe it's good things that have gone. Bereavement is a good thing, isn't it, that's, that, that's gone behind you. And Paul says, forget what's behind and press on towards what is, is ahead. So he says, leave those things behind. Um, forgive them. Be forgiven. If it's a wrong, forgive it. If it's um, 
something stupid you can't let go of, uh, bring it before God, be forgiven, uh, be, be changed. If it's a good thing, then you just have to, in faith, let it go. But actually, he says, stop looking backwards. Because it demeans Christ. It means, if we're looking backward, means that we've not really appreciated what's ahead. And again, I find this incredibly challenging. He says to you, strain forward because there is a prize out there for you to get. There is something so good in front of you, it will make all your perceived wrongs look trivial. There is something out there that is so glorious, it will make all your remembrance of failure um, disappear. There is something out there so wonderful to be experienced that it will make all your best relationships and memories look like just the tiniest aroma from the starter of a huge banquet. We've got to look forward. You have, to have a, you have to have a picture in front of you. You have to have a clear picture of that to which you are headed. You are headed to a, a, a place in God's new creation, which all mourning and crying and pain have gone. But it's not just the negative things have gone. It, it'll be like... It'll be like going home. It'll be like going home, but to something better than you have ever experienced, because it'll be like going home and never having to leave again. It is more permanent. It's like going home, but, but to some kind of better home than you've ever had. There'll be no uh, family arguments or disagreement. It will be going to a place where... Jesus will welcome you in the door and say, well done. Well done. And Jesus' well done is more precious than any certificate or validation you could receive in this life. What is it you really strain for? I want to get that qualification. I want to get to that position. Well, Jesus, well done. Jesus, simple words. It's more precious, more valuable, more an honor to you than any of those things. You will see God face to face. Be more... It'd be a thousand times greater than the greatest spiritual experience or joyful thrill that you've experienced in this life. You can come and ask me afterwards, what did John Miller say heaven is better than? And I will tell you, Tim knows this. Um, and a couple of people know this, but um, can't say it out loud.
God has called you heavenwards. God has called you to win the prize. It is like the ultimate lottery win. What's the highest euro millions? I don't know. About 150 million, 160 million pounds. To have found Christ, or rather to have Christ to have found you and put his hand on your collar, it's like a billion pound lottery win. Your ticket has been picked. You just have to keep going to Lottery HQ to pick up your prize. You've only had the down payment, the first instalment of it now. What is to come is going to be so much, so much better. Keep pressing on to win that prize. So since that day we won the Cub Scout modelling competition, I've not won many prizes. Some decent GCSE results and then it all got a bit mediocre. But it doesn't matter. It's just dross. You and I are going to get a prize in the only competition that really matters. You could look at it like this. In the past, you're saved by grace through faith. So don't build on any other foundation. You're going to get bogged down. Don't try and pedal your motorbike. Present, you have the opportunity to know Christ, have a real living relationship with Christ. But you have got to get past that hump of protecting your own reputation. And in the future... Your lottery ticket has already come up. You've been called by God, taken hold of by Christ. Keep hold of the ticket, but press on. Keep looking forward. Head to HQ, and your prize is there waiting for you. Let's pray. Lord, we know Christ. We, want, we know Christ as, as he comes by his spirit and lives within us. What a privilege that, that you would come and be with us. But he is the Holy Spirit. He does come with an agenda. To make us like Christ in all that that means. Lord, we ask you to change us so that we're ready, ready to bear the name and bear the name and the shame of calling ourselves Christian. And help us press on. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.